It's one of my favorite passages taken out of the book of John, the very first chapter. And the Word became flesh. Let's talk about that next on Truth For Today. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, so writes John. So what does he mean by that, and why is this so important? Well, as we continue with our series, Jesus Christ, the Revealer of God, we are brought close to the truth that Jesus is indeed God, and it's important that we understand why. That is what this series is all about as we celebrate Christmas. Jesus Christ, the Revealer of God. Today, we're in John chapter 1, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's Pastor Phil with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Turning your Bibles to John, John chapter 1. Before I get into the message, could I explain a little bit of theology to you? You say, well, I don't want to hear theology. Well, you wouldn't want Christianity. It's all about God. Theology is the study of God. And we uh, put a little, uh, some charts in here for you that... uh, to explain a little bit before we start with John 1.14, let me explain some things to you about Jesus Christ becoming a man. And we'll pick that up in verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That is an astounding statement. Uh, let me show you some things in the way of uh, how Christianity is misunderstood. Number one, Unitarianism. They say that Christ is a creature, that uh, there's really uh, a hierarchy of beings. Christ would not be God, but rather a creature. The Holy Spirit's not a person. He's an impersonal force. And so that's Unitarianism, that you would see that. Uh, Probably this would be Judaism, uh, that there's one God, creator, Christ is okay, but he certainly couldn't be God. There could be anybody else to be God because Judaism says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And they, if you add anything else, they they would say you got more than one God. Then Sabellianism. Sabellius was a guy that lived in Spain about the third century. And uh, he developed a theology known as modalistic Sabellianism. And uh, what that meant is, There was only one God, but they used the term modalistic. He wore three different masks. And so they would say, there's only one God. In the Old Testament, he wore this mask in which he was known as Yahweh, or maybe uh, we would say the Father. And then in the New Testament, he changed masks, and he took a different mode. And that mode was now he's playing the part of the Son. And when Jesus went back to heaven, he took on a third mask, and he's playing the role of the Spirit. So they would just see one God with three different masks, as it were, three different roles. They wouldn't see three distinct persons. And so that was known as modalistic, different modes, and it was taught by Sibelius. Um, Then you have tritheism. Most people think we are tritheist. If you're in the uh, Muslim world... Uh, Judaism, uh, other religions, they would say, you believe in three gods. Uh, You have three different gods. And 
they would just break it down like this. Separate entities, no way are they one. No, one, no way do they have anything in common. And so all three of these views are incorrect views. Uh, what we believe is in one God, and that means God is one in spirit. All of his nature and his attributes are all shared by what we would call one spirit, that is God. The substance of God is spirit, shared equally by three divine persons. And so that we have one God, because we understand the word one to be a compound unity, that man and woman are one flesh. How can that be, a compound unity? That Genesis, morning and evening are one day. Two parts, one existence. It's compound unity. Our God is a compound unity. Then I just gave you some things about views of Christ. I don't have time to go into it, but I thought I'd just give you uh, the titles and adapted this uh, from Dave Miller, who used to teach at Western Baptist College. Uh, and different views of Christ. Some denied that he had a divine nature. Some denied he had a human nature. And all of this debate went on. What, was Christ really a real person? And uh, I'll just tell you where you get a good definition of these. But I want you to really notice on this last page, this is very important. If you could understand this, I think it will help you. When we come to God became flesh, what does that mean? This is what you want to understand. Some people have Jesus Christ. Let's see, how can I say that? They have his person beginning at Bethlehem that he began as a person at Bethlehem. What's wrong with that? Look at John 1.1. In the beginning was already existing the Word. In other words, before anything ever began, the Word was already existing, and the Word was already facing God, and the Word was already being God. He was with God in the beginning. Before Christ ever came to the earth, he was a divine person, a person that existed before time, matter, or space ever began. He was co-eternal with the Father. So what happened at Bethlehem? Jesus Christ took to his divine person and unto himself, he joins a human nature. That's what begins. A human nature. He had a divine nature all eternity. But he's going to join to himself a human nature, which is body, soul, spirit, real matter, real flesh, real blood, real human emotions, real human mind. He literally grew in understanding while he grew up with his parents. He grew in wisdom and stature. He grew physically. He grew mentally. And so if you notice this chart here, in his human nature, he's localized, he's learning, he's limited. You remember what he said? No man knows the hour that the Son of Man shall return except the Father only. You know what he was saying? In my humanity, I don't know when the Father has determined that I shall return. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think as God he knows? Sure. He's omniscient. He knows everything is God. 
but he limited himself in his human nature so much that uh, he's asleep on the boat out on Galilee, and they're saying, don't you care that we perish? And so in his humanity, he could be tired, he could be hungry. In his deity, he could feed 5,000 with two fish and five loaves. And so he, but once he moves into his human nature, see, God, until Jesus came, you could never prick the finger of God and get any blood, for he was true spirit, and a spirit being can't bleed. God had emotions. He could grieve, as he did in Genesis 6. He grieved that he made man, but you couldn't touch him. You couldn't get your hands on him. And so we come today to see what John says. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. We want to see two things. What Jesus did and was willing to become that he might reveal God to us. And then two, we want to find out what there was about God he wanted us to know above everything else. Why would God, the Son, vacate a throne and come to the earth? What was the mission? What was he trying to accomplish? There's something very interesting in his becoming a man. He became something he never was without ever ceasing to be who he was. He became something he never was. He'd never been human before. He'd never been a man before. And so he became something, became flesh, without ceasing to be who he was, God. And what's an amazing thing is this humanity he took to himself, he never gets rid of it. He resurrects it. You'll see Christ on a throne. We often ask when we get to heaven, will we see God the Father? I don't know. Will we see God the Holy Spirit? I don't know. It'd be hard to see a spirit unless he chooses to manifest a limited manifestation. Maybe as the dove that came at the baptism. But you will absolutely see Christ for he comes back as the Son of Man And he was set on the throne of David as a man, but he will be the God-man, the unique person. So, let us look and see what he's done here. God is willing to become a man. He says he's the Word in verse 1. He's the Creator. Uh, He existed long before anything called time, matter, or space. But at a chosen point in time, God stoops and takes to himself a humanity. And the way he got his humanity was, how can he become human without becoming a sinner? How can he enter into the race 
without the curse of Adam on all of his posterity to be sinners. Well, he did it by providing his humanity through a virgin girl named Mary, while God himself overshadowed her to see that not human sperm, but divine life was transferred to Mary without any contamination, without any of the fallenness of our sin passed on. He became human, but apart from sin. That is a miracle that he performed. It was necessary that he did it. But I think it's an astounding statement when you can say, God became our humanity. God became flesh. I think on that sometimes and just think, you had to change his diapers. He had to be nourished by a woman. That God shrunk himself to live inside the body of this young Jewish girl. She had to go through real childbirth delivery. It was a real placenta. It was a real baby. It was a real child. Nothing here phantom-like. This is a real humanity. He became real. And in early church, they made it fantasy, that it was Gnostic. It was spirit matter, but it wasn't really God. It wasn't real humanity. It was a real humanity. And now think of the implications of that. You have a member of the Godhead who shares our humanity, who feels every human emotion of grief, of loss, of pain. You know, we often kid, we men do, that you can never understand a woman. I don't know if that's totally true, but I'm still in school. 41 years later. I just take it by faith. Uh, And we kid, you men will never understand us. Or imagine understanding an ant. And you said, to understand an ant, I'll become an ant. And imagine God saying, I've been communicating to the human race through prophets, through scrolls, through the books of Moses, through the Old Testament scriptures. I, in these last days, will take nothing less than a personalized message. And in these last days, he says, he's chosen to speak to us in a son, a son who became a baby, and from the moment the word got out that he was alive, a death warrant was issued, and from the age of two, they sought to kill him. He was running for his life from the age of two until they killed him at the cross. God wanted to communicate so bad with us and identify with our humanity that a member of the Godhead has taken our humanity permanently, permanently, Now, let me tell you what that means. He says in 1 Timothy 2, we have one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You can't appreciate that unless you read Job who said, who are you that you could ever understand me? I'm suffering with all these boils. These skin worms are working on my body. My counselor friends are nothing but a discomfort. And you don't understand. I would tell you my whole woe, but you don't understand. And he said in Job, I would somebody could lay hands on God and me at the same time. I wish I had an umpire. 
I wish I had a go-between that could interpret how I feel. And then Jesus comes and he says, Job, I'm the answer you've been craving. We now have one that lays hold of God, and now I'm going to lay hold of man, and I am both God and man. So when you can't articulate your woe, when you can't articulate your grief, I've got a perfect interpreter of my humanity to God. And guess what? The Holy Spirit takes over because Christ tells him to intercede. He's so ignorant, he doesn't even know what to ask the Father. Have you ever been there? And what you ask, if God would have given it, you would have wound up looking like a dumb turkey. I've asked for some things. I thank God he doesn't answer all prayers, especially the stupid ones. And he intercedes for me according to the will of God. But I have a go-between. I have a verse like this that says in Hebrews 2, you can approach a throne of grace now because you now have a God-man high priest that can feel everything you feel. And he says in Hebrews, he can be touched by the feelings of my infirmities. How is that possible? He knows everything humanity experiences in the way of temptation. So he not only just takes my prayer request and says, okay, you, you got it? No, no. He takes it and he interprets it to the Father with the full depth of his humanity. This is what humans go through, Father. Grant them this is what they need when they're going. How do you know, son? I've been there. I became that in order that I might represent them. God became flesh. You can touch a member of the Godhead now. Mary wouldn't let go of his feet. Remember in the resurrection? She really didn't want to let go of his feet. Um, I'll tell you right now, if it's not too crowded around the throne, you count on this. If you see me when we get there that day and there's somebody out of order, it'll be me trying to get up there and touch him. I want to touch him. I believed in him for years. I know faith has made him real, but someday I want to touch him. What are you going to do, stare? Sing hallelujah? That's okay. Just stay out of the way when it's my turn. I want to touch him. Uh, that God, God, a member of the Godhead, has got real flesh. I won't say, you know, like shake hands with him and make my hand slip right through the ghost. No, no, no. It stops. He's got bone. He's got flesh. He just has no blood because blood carried death. Blood carried disease. So in the resurrection, you get bone and you get flesh. You just don't need blood. The spirit will be the animating principle. Well, are you here? If they keep getting this building any hotter, I'm going to preach on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm telling you, it's getting hot. My preaching's been so cold, they've turned up the heat. He became flesh, and I love what it says here, and he made his dwelling among us. Now, that word dwelling doesn't do much for you. But to the Jewish audience that first read this, John used the word, and he skenade among us. And the word skenade is the word he tabernacled among us. Now, tabernacle, that's the Jewish word. They're going to go back to Moses and the wilderness wanderings. The tabernacle was the place where you went to see God on display. You remember the Shekinah held out over the uh, holy place. And you went to the tabernacle to offer sacrifice. You went to the tabernacle uh, to find a copy of the law. The tabernacle was the meeting place 
where God's presence would be manifested. And he said, I will always meet you above the mercy seat. So we get Solomon's temple much later, but it was glorious, magnificent, and showed off the grandeur of Solomon. But when you go back to the tabernacle, it was made of either badger skins or porpoise hides. There was nothing attractive about it. It was set up, broken down, but it was the meeting place where Israel's God would meet them. And this is loaded with implications for a Jewish audience. Our God tented out among us. And he was the central place to find mercy, to find the presence of God on display. The greatest way since Jesus Christ has come to display God is to incarnate him in a life. To show off God in you. You know what? Someone ought to know about God if they burn every Bible and burn up every church building. As long as you are alive, God ought to be well represented. Because God wants to be seen through a body, shown off in a life. And Christ comes and he tended out among us and we beheld him and we saw the glory of God. Now, what did Christ want to do? In taking this form. Three things. He wanted to reveal the glory of God. He wanted to reveal something about God that reached its epitome, and that was grace and truth. And thirdly, he wanted to be the final and the most thorough explanation of what God's like ever given. First of all, the glory of God. Notice what it says. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He showed off the glory of God. What does that mean? Glory is a hard term to get a hold of. Uh, If you're in the Old Testament, glory was a Hebrew word, kavod, and it meant heavy, weighty, of substance. And when they talked about the glory of God, they used the word glory to speak of an army, uh, of your material wealth, of how many servants you had. So the glory of an Abraham would be his army, would be his net worth, uh, how many animals he had. That was a man's glory. Uh, Proverbs says a man's wife was his glory also, that which speaks well of him. And so when it came to God, it was used in various ways. One way it was used of who he was, what was unique to him, what God has connected to him that no one else can claim. It was oftentimes used of the radiance he would give off. He'd give off a Shekinah glory. The presence of God's Shekinah is God's presence. And so he'd give off manifestations of his presence and of his power, and that would be a display of his glory. And you're listening to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. As we close out our broadcast today, we would invite you to contact us. Let us know how the program encourages you in Christ and how this program is being used by you on a daily basis. Are we just a normal part of your radio listening? Do you tap into our resources available at our website? Have you visited our church? These are things we would love to hear from you. Take a moment, call or write to us today. Our phone number is 
855-833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. You're also welcome to visit our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Take advantage of the resource materials I mentioned a moment ago. We have several. Again, truthfortodayradio.org. You'll also find information about Valley Bible Church right there as well, who we are, what we believe, worship times, services, and directions to the church. We'd love to have you join us, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Again, that's truthfortodayradio.org. If you're writing to us, our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. Oh, and by the way, as you come alongside Truth For Today in a financial way, for a gift of $10 or more, we'll send you Pastor Phil Howard's book called Jesus Christ, The Revealer of God. This is an amazing book, a book that takes a look at Christ and how he does, in fact, reveal God in every aspect of his life. Again, this book is yours for a gift of $10 or more when you support the ministry Truth For Today. Simply call or stop by our website and pay us a visit there and order your copy. Again, for a gift of $10 or more as you support Truth For Today. So contact us today. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. And you can also donate online at truthfortodayradio.org. That's truthfortodayradio.org. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today. Today.